You are listening to the IoT for All Media Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IoT for All podcast on the IoT for All Media Network. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, one of the co-creators of IoT for All. Now, before we jump into this episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or join our newsletter at iotforall.com slash newsletter to catch all the newest episodes as soon as they come out. Before we get started, does your business waste hours searching for assets like equipment or vehicles and pay full-time employees just to manually enter location and status data? You can get real-time location and status updates for assets indoors and outdoors at the lowest cost possible with Leverage's end-to-end IoT solutions. To learn more, go to iotchangeseverything.com. That's iotchangeseverything.com. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the IoT for All podcast. Welcome, Eric, to the IoT for All show. How's your week going so far? Going well. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, so let's start this off by having you give a quick introduction about yourself to our audience. Any background information, anything exciting about you know your kind of your past history in the space that would be um, relevant for our audience? Sure. I guess I'm most often known as uh, serving as an AI authority in the last year of the Obama administration. I mm-hmm. worked with the Science Advisory Group, which I'm excited to know is now elevated to a cabinet level position under the wow. Biden administration. Uh, is an exciting uh, place to be then, and I'm sure it's a, an exciting place <laughs> to be now. I am fortunate to have spent uh, my entire career, you know, 20 plus years uh, in various capacities around what is uh, AI uh, as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road for a time. Mm. I've started uh, several companies, uh, that, and I, uh, in addition to working in uh, Washington, I started as a researcher. Uh, wow. I've been at University of Washington, Seattle, at Stanford University, uh, and then at Carnegie Mellon University, where I was faculty uh, after getting my PhD in computer science. So uh, I've, been, I've seen this from a lot of different perspectives over uh, over many years, yeah. and that's the that's the perspective I bring. That's awesome. That's very exciting stuff. Um, we don't have too many people that have you know the connection to the government, like an experience in the government, like 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 you do. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Kind of what the objective and the role there was um, and kind of just the overall kind of like purpose of kind of the the, the position? Sure. Uh, I mean, the, the science advisory group is a part of the executive office of the president uh, you know, adjacent to the West Wing, which is uh, really a uh, uh, the, you know, the, Hollywood, the Hollywood narrative. The very big building next to it has the, the National Security Council, the Domestic Policy Council. It has the office of the mm-hmm. First Lady, the office of the Vice President. Uh, the Council of Economic Advisors, uh, and then the Office of Personnel Management maybe comprises of the, the biggest in terms of square footage. Uh, uh, within This is all within the security perimeter. All, it also holds the uh, science advisory group. It was started under Nixon gotcha. to provide science advice uh, sure. and on everything from space to uh, water uh, uh, to issues in life sciences. Uh, and then a, a growing influence around information technology. So there was a, a, a chief technology officer uh, as a mm-hmm. new role established under the Obama administration, and then a, a chief data scientist as a new role started under the Obama administration. I, I was just uh, ha- happy to, for my period of time, uh, be uh, the authority on AI. There were other authorities in computer security, uh, uh, and, and mine was around uh, AI, you know, automation and software and in, and in hardware, so it touched uh, robotics. The particular sure. job 
was uh, speaking modestly on behalf of the president to uh, coordinate the executive. So this is really a bipartisan issue. It's ostensibly a nonpartisan mm-hmm. role where right. uh, everyone would want our tax dollars to be uh, uh, spent effectively. And all of the, mm. uh, the million or so people that work across the U.S. government to uh, coordinate on, on their initiatives in, in research, in, in deployment. Uh, so right. from the State Department to defense, of course, to health and human services and, and transportation, how do they think about AI? How do they think about robotics? How do they think mm-hmm. about their data collection and its use? Uh, where, where do we need to do uh, more research? Where are their security vulnerabilities and, and so right. forth? So uh, the, the president has a view and uh, it's, it's our job to uh, communicate that out. That sounds absolutely fascinating and probably a very exciting environment to be in. Um, yeah. That's very cool. Um, so, so tell me a little bit more about Conexus, the, you know, your company now. Um, tell us obviously what, what you all do, the focus there. And then also I'd love to hear a little bit about background on the founding of the company, kind of the story behind it and the problem or opportunity you saw in the market to obviously warrant the, the company being started. Sure. Yeah. Conexus is... Uh, one of the uh, more rare stories you'll hear this year, uh, <laughs> uh, it's and it's because the discovery actually is in math uh, to help to tell the um, uh, to hear that the uh, MIT say it, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the Institute mm-hmm. would say that this is the first ever spin out from their math department. Uh, wow. That's Right. That's a, 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 a quite a statement. So even though I uh, spent time as a computer scientist uh, and even though I spent time in AI, this is sort of upstream from that. It's going to more fundamental from that. Uh, there's a blockage uh, around fully taking advantage uh, uh, of AI, and that is in the collection and integration of data, okay. structured data unstructured data, just all types of data. And this was born of that need. Well, okay, gotcha. Very cool. So talk a little bit um, more to us about the role you all play in the market, you know, use cases, anything that kind of brings us full circle to some real life examples of, um, uh, you know, solutions that you, you've been a part of developing and how your technology and your offering kind of, um, you know, plays a role in the market. You know, at an abstract level, you might think that a company uh, uh, with an infinite balance sheet to, to, to dream and a, a very smart people uh, from any number of places might, uh, in the abstract, create an optimal IT infrastructure. Right. This might be what some of the listeners can imagine uh, or what they go for, what their customers might think they go for. And that's just not how reality plays out, because okay. the, the reality is companies are looking about to implement what's needed for their business at any particular time. Nobody can sure. really see years out. They don't know how their company is necessarily going to grow. So in one particular instance, we worked with a large ride sharing company. Uh, okay. This ride sharing company has an effectively infinite balance sheet and some extremely smart people. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet they do not have at all an idealized IT infrastructure. That mm-hmm. IT infrastructure in their particular case grew up uh, jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Anybody else can okay. think about this by department to by, by department or by customer need. This was 
by city. So this particular ride-sharing company would look at the city of Los Angeles and want to say, well, I want to do uh, a business uh, case for the, the, the rates versus dr- rider satisfaction or okay. the weather versus driver satisfaction or whatever, whatever okay. sort of business analysis that one's sure. AI algorithm might uh, engender. Right. But in order for them to do that, they could do the city of Los Angeles and then they would have to do a statistical comparison to the city of San Diego. They couldn't do those two, the whole state of California, let alone all of North America or all of the world. This impaired their business decisions. It also slowed their business decisions. So they implemented our solution, looking really around the world. How does this get solved? How do we integrate these hundreds of databases all into one to make better business decisions that are faster, more accurate, and and uh, you know really represent the uh, the responsiveness that we seek. Uh, and the the answer was that they had to look more fundamentally than the computer okay. science solution. So some of your listeners might be familiar with RDF and OWL. Those were those were solutions in the early two thousands to try to deal with this data deluge that we often read about in the press. You know the the, the doubling of data every. Uh, uh, every every very sh- shockingly short period of time uh, that <laughs> right. that you know that continues and uh, but it's been a failure because it really doesn't scale uh, it, okay. it just it fails to keep up with the size of databases today so this this company looked around the world they found us and to have them tell it uh, we were the only solution available to have them integrate the totality uh, of their data because. We were fortunate to be recognized as the leaders in enterprise software taking advantage mm-hmm. of this particular discovery in math. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, this, the use case, uh, along with the story of coming out of MIT as the first company from the math side is is absolutely fascinating. I, I, you, I don't think unless I was having a conversation with you today, I would have known that or, or even a guess that otherwise. You just would assume with this, you know, the high profile MIT that other businesses have been built out of the math side. Um, so that's, that's really exciting and congrats on all the success you guys have had so far. Thanks. Um, so I wanted to kind of bring this um, a little more high level here for a second. And if you see if you could talk to our audience a bit about an AI system in general, kind of what an AI system, it, what it means to have be uh, or have an AI system, how an AI system works um, just less technical and more kind of on the layman terms of just kind of what what that is when people hear about it um, and why it's important. You know, I think it's it's really terrific uh, to, to to delve into that that question. Thanks for asking it. It's uh, it's important that all of us get involved in this conversation around AI and not uh, just think it's uh, uh, for people like me that that grew up in a basement in front of computers. <laughs> you know, it's for everybody. <laughs> right. Uh, and, right. and the term is a funny one because, you know, it's begun to emerge that that people think it, it doesn't really exist. There is no really artificial intelligence. And, and I find it that to be confusing the, the, the what we used to call generalized AI versus specialized okay. AI. But these sort of distinctions, they really don't uh, matter to the 99 percent of us that are not uh, AI researchers day to day. I find that these definitions um, are are more helpful if we just look at what's useful for somebody's day to day existence, and and I I like to look at the very beginning. So okay. how is the data collected? 
how is it sensed? You know, this 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 show is about from uh, Internet of Things. This is data from those Internet of Things. You know, my, my dishwasher sure. somehow is connected to the Internet for some reason. And so <laughs> right. it collects data. It's for maintenance. And, 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 and that's a that's a, a collection of data from from different sources. Uh, it could be the LIDAR on top of the car. It could be the air quality mm. in the rooms we're in. That's the collection of data, sensing data. And then that data is transferred to uh, uh, thinking, uh, uh, planning, uh, cognition, we, we might say. That's where traditional AI would live. And, and if we okay. really wanted to get pedantic, we could say that the popular term of machine learning is a subset of AI and the popular mm-hmm. term of deep learning is a subset of machine learning. So there are non-machine learning AIs. But you know, mm-hmm. that that is not useful for the 99% of us that are not AI researchers. And Fair we enough. can expand that further. We have the sensing, we have the planning, but we then have to act. Okay. We have to do something with the data. So if my automated car get, get, collects data from the LIDAR, then processes that in their in the totality of its, its system inside the car, it then has to decide if what is in front of it is a shadow, is a crosswalk, is a person, mm-hmm. and what the actions are, if it should slow down, if it should right. wait until it collects more information, or if it should just continue at the same speed for whatever reason. That's an action. So you have sense, plan, act, and then what's unique about AI, so it's not just the thermometer from the 1970s, it mm-hmm. learns from the experience, learns from the experience. So it'll start to learn. Yeah. Now, AI systems don't spontaneously learn. This is almost a misnomer or a misunderstanding about what the learning is. My, my automated car is not going to go down, the, down a street at an intersection, see that crosswalk for the thousandth time and suddenly start spouting Mandarin. It doesn't learn that way, right? It's, yeah, it's right. funny when I say it that way. It's so obvious. But people get this misinterpreted. It becomes a better driver on that intersection, on that okay. intersection. Now, the learnings mm-hmm. might be then fed back into the manufacturer, and the manufacturer could use that as learning to increase the, the, the efficiency of the algorithms in general. But the car gotcha. itself is only going to learn that uh, that intersection. So since plan act, learn from the experience, that I think is a useful definition for uh, nearly all of your listeners. That's fantastic. And um, when it comes to all the different components and pieces that make up an AI system, which ones would you say are the most important um, and kind of that really drive the success of, of an AI system when it, you know, when it's deployed? You know, we, I uh, was in computational linguistics uh, for a number of years, and I found that there was a certain dynamic that plays out more broadly in information technology in general. And it's this idea of uh, of waves of tech and then waves of application of tech. So we would learn uh, the new machine learning techniques, and then we'd apply them to language, and we'd get all really excited and have some breakthroughs. And then we'd reach the limit of that and then have to go back to researching language again, uh, semantics, semiotics, uh, 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 syntax, what have you. And then a new technology wave would come along and we would apply that again. I find the same uh, with, with AI and maybe even enterprise software, where if you look at the system that is AI that we just distinguished since Plan Act, we might say that uh, many of the technologies that we now live with deep in the infrastructure of, of our world, uh, pr- uh, products from companies like uh, Oracle and Microsoft and, and even Salesforce to some extent, those were really innovative products 
20 years ago, 30 years sure. ago, and in the case of Oracle, right. 40 years ago, right? Uh, but the innovation has been felt instead on the consumer side, where okay. that used to be the laggard. But now uh, we have some fantastic consumer-oriented technology devices. But now uh, enterprise software is really lagging. So I might say that whole system is just up for some uh, some new developments that are that are terribly exciting. In particular, uh, I, I as I, as we started this conversation, look before the learning algorithm. So there's a lot okay. of uh, seemingly magical uh, uh, items coming out of of deep learning. In the case of DeepMind's protein unfolding, they deserve all the praise uh, that 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 you see in the popular press. Uh, you, one of the companies I sit on the board of, Petuum. They have a fantastic suite of AI products that can uh, democratize its application uh, across industries. But for for many venture capitalists, they're going to be disappointed with the returns <laughs> in that domain <laughs> because the bottleneck is upstream from that. Okay. There's a lot of data collected that's not used. Dark data. Interesting. There's a lot okay. of data that exists in these databases that's not adequately brought together. There's a the refactoring of databases, you know, keeping the the semantics mm-hmm. while the structure changes is 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 where careers go to die. Uh, uh, the years are invested, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, it, it's really a uh, it's where the calcification of old industries uh, begins to show up, and that's what I'd say is an exciting place to look. This is deep in the plumbing of our world and how it operates, it, it, it impairs uh, uh, some of our logistic systems. And maybe I'll, I can give a story about that. During the, the early stages uh, of the, uh, the COVID crisis, we were working with a logistics company. Okay. You, you read in the news uh, recently about that large container ship that, that went, sure. uh, it's going to say sideways, kind of diagonal in the Suez Canal. Well, those mm-hmm. ships you, you read about have, thousands or even tens of thousands of containers on them. And there are thousands of these ships around the world. Uh, Mm. And it was hard for us to imagine that when one of our clients or rather one of our clients' clients, each one of which has tens of thousands of employees and thousands of ships with those tens of thousands of containers, they uh, don't know immediately where their stuff is. They want to right. ask a business question. Where's my stuff? And so in the, in the early days of the COVID crisis, where's the personal protective equipment? Where's my PPP? And, w- and should it go to uh, San Diego or Santiago? Uh, I, but I don't know even where it is. That business question ideally would be answered, again, ideally, uh, in a matter of hours. Instead, it takes mm-hmm. days. That's an expensive question to ask, in other words. Right. So we help right. solve that problem, integrating the databases to mm. make those business decisions faster, cheaper, uh, and and allow the business to become more flexible. That's another example of just bringing data together. That's an exciting place uh, to look. Yeah. So let me ask then from a, from a listener standpoint, um, what type of company, individual, organization, industry do you all kind of focus on, if any? And at the same time, who, sh- who out there listening should... Um, makes the most sense to kind of reach out and engage you if you know they're interested in kind of just getting a better sense of uh, the work you do and how your you know offering could work with w- what they're doing. Like, do they, do they need to be in a certain stage of development? Do they need to be focused on a certain kind of problem? You know, how does that usually handled on your end? Like that typical customer engagement and and just any advice out there for 
for people that are, you know, very intrigued, obviously, by this conversation and want to want to kind of connect in that way? Well, for for us as a firm, we generally work with larger firms with okay. uh, complex data infrastructure uh, that the, the ones that have uh, uh, thousands of tables, tens of thousands of tables. Uh, sometimes it's measured in size of the database, petabytes of data, mm-hmm. but it's really the, okay. the, the complexity of the data set. Um, uh, uh, you, you might say it's uh, physically heterogeneous, uh, but the mm. data models are homogeneous. Uh, that's a that's a terrific scenario uh, in gotcha. which we can provide the, the quickest value, specifically in Microsoft SQL environments. That's a good place to be uh, looking to have the, the, the quickest return. I can offer okay. in general uh, the the guidance for people uh, around the foundational technology uh, for for your listeners to uh, uh, just listen for in other in other environments, uh, which mm-hmm. is the discovery of category theory. So categorical okay. mathematics is the branch of mathematics that powers what we do. We're not the only company that'll be doing this. We're not the only company today that does it. Uh, we're just the leaders in enterprise software taking advantage of that. But category theory as a branch of math is the math of the 21st century. That's okay. where I, I uh, uh, suggest people look in general for themselves, for their companies, for their children. Uh, you okay. might say the more math, the better. But uh, yeah. I, I, in 10 or 20 years, uh, uh, calculus, geometry, trigonometry, that's going to look a little bit like speaking Latin to each other. Gotcha. Okay, interesting. Now, I want to take a kind of a shift topics here for a second and talk a little bit more about um, when you all were coming to market and, and kind of forming the company, what were some of the biggest challenges that you all saw um, in kind of promoting and, and educating the market on the value of what it is that you're doing? Um, are there anything kind of that you that stands out to you that was a you know relatively noticeable challenge and kind of how you guys overcame that? Yeah, the 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 problem for us is we compete against not doing, and we compete against manual. Okay. So uh, if you look at the the revenue of some large consulting firms, and not I'm not just talking about Deloitte, Accenture, McKinsey, uh, what have you, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. you look at Tata, Wipro, Tibco, those companies have grown their revenue right in line with the rate of data growth. Those companies exist because of this problem in data interoperability, because that process is horribly manual. Using tools like from Informatica or Ab Initio, which themselves Mm -hmm. are good companies, but it's a terribly manual process that seeks to be automated. But if if a, a company has grown up with this business process of uh, just putting a, uh, a decision through a, even a manual operations, shifting out of that can be uh, uh, you know, not worth the effort, not worth the risk. Sure. Uh, sure. So that's a, uh, that was a challenge. You know, the, even the, uh, the canonical 10 times benefit or even 100 times benefit uh, can be a misleading metric if what you're competing against is a, a, a given uh, business process. And, okay. and you can know this intellectually. I knew this intellectually. I've I, 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 you know, taught this for goodness sake. But, but coming upon it firsthand, is, is, it's, it's funny to see uh, in action where just the nature of large organizations is uh, no one person is in a position to uh, disrupt the business process. No one wants to change their workflow. That's a lesson to <laughs> oh, learn. I, I understand that completely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
That's great. That's great. I wanted um, as as we're kind of talking about those challenges, um, I guess with you know obviously your extensive extensive experience and, and knowledge of the market for many years, um, what are you seeing as some of the biggest trends in the market right now as it relates to um, AI and even IoT to some matter? You know, IoT I think is uh, is being um, misinterpreted. Uh, in its uh, impact. It, okay. It's not about collecting uh, more data by itself that is the value. It's the relationships okay. between the data. So it's mm. not, we worked with this utility company in Europe uh, that had uh, uh, windmills. Now, I, I came to okay. find out there are five large windmill companies in the world. There, there are more, but there's five com- five companies comprise 90 plus percent of the market for windmills. Now, those windmills for you and I uh, are are interesting only to the extent that they supply power. Right? I mean, they're, they're green power. That's fine. Um, but they, they, we don't care about the nuances. Right. Um, but there are sensors on those windmills that will detect uh, the temperature. It's four degrees centigrade. These are in Europe. Uh, it's uh, 40 knot winds expected. That's okay. data. Right. So that's data. We're sensing, sensing, planning, right. acting, learning from the experience. So we're sensing the data, collecting the data. And that's nice. But what's much, much more valuable and what's unique to a company, this is where mm-hmm. every company is becoming a data company, mm-hmm. is the unique knowledge that a company would acquire when it is four degrees Celsius and there was predicted to be 40 knot winds then something happens. Something could be, uh, uh, there's a chance of freezing, there is increased uh, efficiency on the windmill, there is a shorter maintenance when you, what happened? Whatever. That's the, that's knowledge. Yes. That's valuable. The data collection, much, much less valuable. It's the knowledge from the relationships of the data. The sharing of knowledge, that's the future. And then, okay. and then going one step further, it's the patterns in the relationships of the knowledge. Those are the people that are going to own the future. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, we talk a lot on here about the ability for companies to collect data in ways that they have not been able to collect data before due to the advancements in technology as it relates to IoT. But it's interesting, your approach, um, because it, which makes a ton of sense, which is the data collection is becoming a bit more trivial now, and it's actually what you do with that data, how you interpret the data, the decisions you make on that data, basically that knowledge like you're talking about is what dictates the value and the success of your, you know, the entire process to collect the data. Um, and that's very, that's a, that's, I, that's a great way to kind of explain it, um, what you're saying, because it's, it hasn't really been explained that way to our audience, I don't think, um, as, of, as of late. Yeah, the models, the schemas, the that's right. where every company is going to derive uh, value. That I, I say that every company is an AI company because okay. a lot of uh, other things are just becoming commoditized. You know, whether right. you're a public utility or you're a mining company or a, a shipping or logistics mm-hmm. company, the, the, mm-hmm. many of the physical goods are becoming commoditized. And, and like we're saying, the, the collection of their data can become commoditized. But the relationships, mm-hmm. the knowledge, that's becoming the gold. Gotcha. One question I want to ask is it's not really related, but it's 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 just a term I hear I hear often and I'm not sure if our audience fully understands it because we don't cover it very much. But uh, data lakes, can you talk a little bit more about what data lakes are and kind of what their purpose is and kind of your overall just view of them? 
Yeah, data lakes were uh, trying to compensate for the failures of data warehouses. Now, a lot of these terms I, I, um, uh, I, I don't like because just like we started off talking about AI, uh, the terms themselves can have specific meanings, but it's the interpretations of the two of the terms that yeah, really matter. Right. Right? Right, right. So I will say in, in data lakes, what it's come to mean is magic. <laughs> I'll bring mm. all my data together in one place. There was an example earlier in the in the covid crisis where uh, C3.ai uh, got a lot of press for creating a data lake about uh, uh, COVID information. But really what okay. they did is they just, they brought everything together essentially on one hard drive. <laughs> it's not, wow. it's not, okay. It, okay. it doesn't make your uh, analysis necessarily any more useful or available. I guess I'll say that. It doesn't make it okay. any more available because, you know, when you, when one is trying to do a, a analysis, make better business decisions, all mm-hmm. of your data needs to be integrated. There is sure. no AI without integrated data. Okay. And I'll just say that again. There is no AI without integrated data. You have to have fully integrated data. If you have data that you collected, but it's just somehow sitting around, that's dark data, right? That, okay. That's bad, right? So the, the, the data lake was an attempt to first collect all the data essentially in one big hard drive, uh, one big lake, and then uh, we'll worry about the integration later. We'll let the data scientists do their integration okay. later. But that that is the proverbial kicking the ball down the road to let the data scientists mm. do the work. But the hard part isn't necessarily using these increasingly sophisticated off-the-shelf learning algorithms. It's mm-hmm. it's actually collecting and integrating the data. That's the hard part. That's the manual part. That's the part that takes years. It takes a commitment sure. from uh, 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 from senior management. And, and unfortunately, sure. today, it, it takes the manual effort of many of these consulting firms costing tens of millions of dollars uh, over long periods of time. You, the, so the data lake was an, an attempt off the, uh, uh, to solve warehouses. It's becoming to, uh, 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 a little uh, uh, passe now. Uh, mm, so da- okay. Databricks introduces the concept of, of now, data, um, uh, what do they call it, lake houses. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so these little islands of integrated data within a data lake. And, but my, my favorite term is really data bog or data swamp because, because, <laughs> you know, they're just, they're just a, it's a, just a mess. It's just a, it's yeah. just a mess of data. You really did nothing. Um, you think you did something, you took actions, but you really made no progress. So I guess that's a nice yeah. way of saying it. So if I'm a listener or a company that has a lot of data, you know, more of this dark data that they haven't really done anything with, what's the best first step on how to get that integrated and start really utilizing it the way you're kind of advising? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'll give a couple pieces of advice around this. And, and the more general is that you need to, uh, to begin to develop the discipline as a person and as a organization to think more specifically about where your data lives, Okay, certainly where it comes from. And right. then where it's going to go. So any idea you have, and this it came from my, my, my experience in, in government, but it applies to any large organizations. Any, any idea you have has to be grounded in your databases. This is funny for an AI guy to be saying this, because, uh, but this is where the limitation is. Where is the data coming from? Where, uh, right. where is it going to be stored? Where is it going to go to? You need to be thinking in very specific terms. If I thought of any public policy failures, but this also goes true for business failures, where those uh, 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 germinate is in databases not talking to each other. 
So you need to think very okay. specifically, uh, where does this data live? What formats are, is, is, does this data live in? Uh, how right. will we, over what period of time, uh, integrate uh, uh, that data? And I, and I can just give gotcha. a story about how pernicious this problem is. So we're, we're working with a large uh, uh, hospital chain in the in northeastern United States, a brand name uh, hospital chain. Uh, this is one okay. organization, one organization that has different definitions of diabetes. Okay. And, and you think, well, that, that sounds weird. I don't quite understand that. <laughs> uh, that, you know, diabetes just is, I can go on Wikipedia and it seems like a pretty consistent definition, right? right? right. But it's, <laughs> right, it's, right. <laughs> it's that, uh, they haven't thought as an organization formally about, about a, a, a way that they can agree on the definition. So one, one department may have their own uses for their data collection and have, uh, uh, agreed, uh, essentially saying diabetes, yes, no. Yeah, diabetes, do they have it? Okay. But another part of the same organization might instead say uh, diabetes, how long ago? When did, when did it start? And another part mm-hmm. of the organization would be uh, uh, maybe from well-meaning people thinking, well, I'm not just going to say yes, no, or when did it start? I'm going to say uh, diabetes, mm. how bad and, and how are we treating it? Right. And that all can be in one column of data called diabetes. You can do the same thing by uh, by date, start, that this happens in every gotcha. organization. Date gotcha. start. What did that mean? Date start when I first detected it. Date start when I started treatment. Date start when the contract started or when the contact started. Date, date yep. start. And if I want to bifurcate that table into something more meaningful, that's actually a very difficult process uh, and can result in uh, catastrophic failures. Uh, you know, Mizuho oh. Bank is a, a Japanese bank had because of exactly this sort of problem, had all their ATMs go down for a day. All their client accounts yes. go down for a day. That's that's a failure of production databases and in mm. generally around these database refactoring problems. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. That's fa- that's a, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing those insights because I think a lot of people out there are that are getting started on this journey are understanding the data collection part, but it's that next piece of understanding how to utilize the data and and not just have their data you know sit dormant is um, something I think they could use a lot of kind of help and advice on. So I appreciate that. As we wrap up here, I have a couple last questions. Um, one is, it's a comment that a lot of people that are new to, or just kind of hear about AI, see it in movies, see it on TV shows, kind of talk about um, as you know a future fear about you know AI t- replacing humans. And I'd love if you could just give your thoughts on that kind of topic and and how you see that being either correct or incorrect statement, and and what you kind of see as the future for for AI as it relates to um, interacting with humans? You know, I got this uh, question every time I would meet a new congressman uh, uh, when I was in Washington. <laughs> uh, and and I, I, uh, uh, there, there, there's a lot of different ways to, to address it. You know, the, the, the idea is that uh, AI is not going to be a utopia and it's not going to be a dystopia. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, and and okay. the where in the middle is going to be up to us. The, the, and the way, the how in the middle is going to be in how we engage in this conversation. AI right. could be thought of as an augmentation. It could be thought of probably more generally as an automation. And its automation okay. has replaced humans for, for as long as uh, we've had tools, really. And we don't really shed a tear for the, uh, uh, the, for the treasury bond traders that lost their jobs because of machine <laughs> learning, right? right now, we right. might be a little, uh, a little more empathetic to the, the telephone switchboard operators or the elevator operators, 
you remember we had we had manual elevator operators, uh, you know, before either of our us were born, maybe before our parents were born. And, you know, those elevator operators came out and those elevators became automated. People got concerned about elevators. And in order to entice people into the elevators to make them make it seem safe, music was introduced to the elevators. That's what we got the term elevator music. Made it seem safe okay. and welcoming. I'll be part of this automation. So automation can be scary. What's different today? What's changed? What? Why? Mm-hmm. Besides the term artificial intelligence, is this something different? It's that digital technology, by its very nature, doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. And then when it works, it works infinitely well. It scales mm. uh, it just infinitely well. So it's in the abruptness of the change. When jobs okay. were displaced before, the, the, the person at the telephone switchboard could live out their career or in the bond market, maybe less so. But those careers continue to exist. Just people wouldn't go into the job newly. What's different today gotcha. is when as soon as digital technology works, that career could be over in a year. Or two or less, okay. whatever. Right. right, my, right. my prediction okay. for for automated trucking, which is often what people talk about when you long haul trucking, is that that job mm-hmm. is actually going to get better before it gets worse. Because long okay. haul trucking is actually an awful job. And even the people that do mm-hmm. it know it because they're away from their families for a long time. But there are people sure. working mm-hmm. on pelotons of not the firm, the Peloton of the bicycle or the Peloton of the trucking company, but the concept of Pelotons from cycling, uh, the Pelotons of semi-trucks that can allow long-haul truck drivers to go for long distances and be back home quicker to create uh, more stable relationships mm. and a more enjoyable life experience for themselves while they're long-haul truckers. That will happen, making the job better long before that job is eliminated. In other areas, okay. I would say a, a couple of things. One is we can't tell, we don't know. In, you know, yeah. I, I would challenge anybody in the year 2000 to have predicted not just the smartphone. People could have predicted in general what a smartphone would look like, but the implications of a smartphone to create a career called app developer, let alone everything that came yeah, after right, that. Right, Nobody could have predicted right. app developer as a career path. It just didn't it, it, un- unconceptualizable, you might, we might say. And mm-hmm. it's in that that I introduce a new job. The new job is that of an ontologist. Now, this is not ontologist like the philosophy uh, that that we all uh, came about, you know, nature of being and all that from school. But Amazon has now 12 ontologists, 12 professional ontologists, and they're going to hire 12 more in 2021. If you look at some life sciences company, go to Pfizer, Amgen, whatever, they're hiring ontologists and ontologists capture the knowledge of the organization. They are professionals at figuring out how to capture knowledge. That is a new career that is emerging and it pays quite well. Uh, But that's something none of us could have predicted uh, even five years ago. And that's what Mm -hmm. I suggest is going to happen. What we can do is be responsive to this future. Don't try to predict it so much, but set up our lives to be responsive to what's coming down. You can't Mm -hmm. predict the next pandemic, but you can be responsive quickly. And that comes from integrating all your data so you can make better yeah. decisions more quickly. <laughs> that is a fantastic way to end this. Um, Cause I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I think obviously there's a lot of fear for people who don't have enough information to really understand the value and the purpose of AI. And they just kind of assume that it's going to result in humans losing their jobs where 
as you've already you mentioned, um, if we really look back, it you know, a lot of this technology creates new jobs, things that we never would have expected uh, until uh, you know it happens. So, so all your insights today have been fantastic. The passion you have for this topic is is, is incredible. Um, I think our audience is going to really like this episode. Um, the last thing I wanted to do is just kind of last couple seconds here, just give a um, an opportunity to kind of share if anybody out there is listening and wants to learn more about Connexus, learn more about you know what you all do, the offering, or potentially is looking to potentially engage in some kind of uh, relationship, what's the best way they can go about doing that? Uh, info at connexus.com. It's, it's co-nexus, okay. uh, nexus, Latin for join, co-nexus.com. Uh, uh, and I'm Eric Daimler on all the usual places on the web. Fantastic. We'll be sure to link that up when we get this out to our audience. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great conversation and, and thanks again for being here. It's been a good time, Ryan. All right, everyone. Thanks again for joining us this week on the IoT for All podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave us a rating or review and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Also, if you have a guest you'd like to see on the show, please drop us a note at ryan.iotforall.com and we'll do everything we can to get them as a featured guest. Other than that, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.